This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Pete, usually you start, but while we were doing a little bit of chit-chat before this episode, Mm. you dropped a bombshell and I am blown away. You told me that when lawyers do Zoom court, the judge green screens himself (laughs) in front of a fake court. Confirm or deny, is that true? Yeah, herself, her honour today. So um, I had a matter in the federal court today and it's just really corny because you get the like green screen, you know, grainy, weird shoulders in front of a judge who's doing their best to be like, now this is a very serious and important thing, even though we're all just sort of hanging out in our spare room doing our best. (laughs) All right, all right. Well, no better episode Mm. to have our next guest returning. Yes. She is an FBI presenter. She is a festival curator I'm pretty sure she sells organic goods wholesale, Mm. but most importantly, she is an online content creator. Ruby Miles, welcome back to Spooko. (laughs) Hello. I'm back. Great to have you, Rubes. Hell yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask, is Halloween a holiday you celebrate? Have you crafted anything for Halloween? Okay, sadly no, because I'm moving house this weekend. So I'm kind of, yeah, very worried about the kids knocking on our door when we're going to be like sweaty and like lifting furniture (laughs) and stuff so i haven't been able to craft anything but i do have a lot of like homemade halloween things from the past like costumes and stuff from the past like i have a i made basically a piece of like silver spandex fabric I folded it in half and sewed it like it's a square, then cut a little head hole out and some armholes, and then painted a yogurt lid black and sewed it on, and I'm a goon sack. Uh, For anyone not from Australia, a goon sack is a sack of wine that you buy in a box for a couple of dollars. Yeah, it's the thing inside the box of wine. I think it's probably the best way. It's the thing inside the box. Very easy DIY Halloween costume. 100% 100% recommend. With the greatest of respect, it might have been easy in the execution phase, but the real <laughs> triumph is in the ideation phase. So sometimes, <laughs> you know, a fantastic costume is just a great idea. Like Shag had a great idea. I, I remember of you just do a fake business card of like, by the way, I'm... I think you were like just David Copperfield one day and you just handwritten a business card to be like, <laughs> David Copperfield, magician, yeah, like, here we are, that's me. And it remains a very, very funny thing to do. Oh, conceptual people are the worst people in the world. Uh, I'm so sorry for doing that as a costume. I don't know, like, if it, at the, like, office Halloween party, because I had nothing to do and I was just, like, I just don't really want to get dressed in a costume. I, oh, God. I completely stole your idea and just used, we just have little envelope stickers to be like, hi, my name is, you know, Justice Blot, like, you know, I don't know, just made up the I was a judge or something, and everyone's like, oh, a name tag of saying you're a judge, Pete, you've done it again. 
I mean, the only reason I don't do it is because I don't love dressing up. I hate fancy dress parties. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it, it, it seems weird. Like I went to art school, you know, I work in a creative field, but mm. uh, just dressing up just feels like a lot of work. Mm. No one cares about your costume after the first five minutes anyway. And then you're uncomfortable. So that's, that's purely my thing. So I guess I was asking because we are in the swing of Halloween season right now mm. that has become increasingly a thing in Australia. When I was growing up, it was almost... You were you were looked down upon for even thinking about celebrating Halloween because it was seen as like giving into Americanism mm. and betraying your Australian identity. Whereas now, I feel like celebrating Halloween is almost become the norm. Is that something you guys are experiencing? Mm. Yeah, like children, like it's their sole source of lollies, except for like so they know it's their only independent way to source lollies. So they're like, <laughs> yes, we have to like we have to go and <laughs> to go and be a part of this. And get our own like vast hoard that won't involve going into you know mum mum's top cupboard or whatever. So yeah, yeah, very 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 big as we see it. I hope we I hope we do more of it to be honest because I grew up not in Australia where we did have Halloween and it was sick and I remember having like the shit scared out of me at people like really decorating their houses and like. You know, being like, come in, and then they'd scare you and stuff. Oh, I hated that. I don't like that, obviously. Um, But, like, I feel really bad because every year, I don't know what happens. Every year I have something on. Last year, my friend's on his birthday's on the 31st, so I'm always, like, out my door to go to drinks or something, Mm. and there's a bunch of adorable kids outside my house, like, with bags being like, and, you know, there's probably two houses on our street that actually celebrate or actually put effort in. And so these kids have to walk like kilometers <laughs> to get a full bag. Whereas I was like, I did laps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm so glad then that we can start a tradition with you because mm. you were with us, Ruby, back on your show on FBI when we covered the very first film in the Halloween franchise from 1978, Halloween. Last week, Pitch and I covered the 11th film in the franchise that's actually the sequel to that film called Halloween as well. I think at some point in its development it was called Halloween Returns and all the fat cats at the studio were like, it's going to make more money if we just call it Halloween again. Halloween Tokyo Drift. (laughs) Halloween to the streets. (laughs) Well, we're, we're the dumbest named one because... The bad guy in Halloween is called Michael Myers. He's not called Halloween. There's no play on words in which this makes sense. But anyway, today we're doing the sequel to Halloween from 2018. That's the first film in a trilogy. That's actually the second film in the seventh timeline. That's the 12th film of the whole franchise. Today we're doing a film that's just come out this month called Halloween Kills. Oh my God, I'm so scared. Hey, what are you guys doing out here? It's Halloween, we've been trick-or-treating. Are you alone? There's a creepy man in a white mask. Where? And he keeps like trying to play hide and seek with us. Where did you see him? Look! We killed Michael. My grandmother set the fire. No one told you. (laughs) Told me what? Michael Myers is alive. A man couldn't have survived that fire. Forty years ago, the boogeyman came for us. We are the survivors of Michael Myers. Lori, what do we do? We fight 
Mom. Our family. We'll kill him. We're gonna hunt him down and we're gonna put an end to this. He is not gonna stop killing until we stop him. If you track Michael's victims, that's a straight line to Michael's childhood home. Someone's in our house. Ugh. Firstly, just to complete the thoughts on Halloween generally, there is no amount of compliments that can sustain me through a night of fancy dress. Like if I've dressed up, my insatiable hunger for compliments or insatiable thirst for compliments is just unquenchable. I need to hear all night, Peach, you must have gone to so much effort. It looks amazing. Well done. Thanks for making it a great night. Secondly, I really like the idea that we sort of bumped into a little bit with the collector of our victim just having an edge of villain about them. So I'm really enjoying Jamie Lee Curtis sort of edging into uh, coming and hunting Michael. And thirdly, I think Halloween Kills sort of makes grammatical sense. Like Shag famously interviewed the host for, sorry, the lead singer of um, Modest Mouse. I want to call Isaac Brock, but I'm sure that's wrong. No, it's Isaac Brock. You're right. Isaac Brock. Uh, and you corrected him on the grammar of, of like his second or third album or whatever it was. And you were oh, like, yeah, that's yeah. right. I was like, I was like, um, actually, we were dead before the ship even sank. And I was kind of, and maybe I'm wrong here. And I'm so like, I, I, I was a copywriter and I was the worst copywriter. But <laughs> I was like, shouldn't it be we were dead before the ship had even sunk? Yeah, and he was like, it's not wrong. Yeah, he got really upset with me about that. Rightly so. Look, me and LP still have beef, so like, I get interviewing people and uh, and it not going well. But I think Halloween kills make sense. I think if something kills, like it's cool, it's exciting. Hey, this kills. This is a fun, exciting thing. It succeeds. I don't know. Let's hear about it, Gooey. I'm psyched. Jamie Lee Curtis looks like she's about to slay the house down boots. The last movie I watched her in was Freaky Friday. So, I, like, <laughs> has she been up to anything else recently? I don't even know. Um, but listening to last week's episode was so sick. The only thing that pissed me off was I was, you know, on my little walk listening. And I, I told you this last time. Like, I go on my walk. I listen to Spooko. I pull, like, horrified faces whenever you talk about something gory. And, like, these old ladies on the walk look at me. And I'm like, oh, What? But I was like, well, no wonder there's so many Halloween movies. Nobody's checking that he's dead. Why did she set <laughs> yes. it on fire? She set the bunker on fire and then just walked away. Like, that, that'll do it. No one can survive down there. It was like, no one can survive. I better not check if anyone did actually survive. It's exactly. Good. It's it's the classic, like, 1960s villain thing that I think Austin Powers mentions at one point where it's like, let's just lock them in a room and, like, <laughs> I'm sure they're dead. I won't check. Well, I'm pretty sure it's the NERD rules the same as for comic books of, like... <laughs> You know, you can't build a great bad guy and be like, oh, whoops, there we are. We had four comic books with our great bad guy and killed them. It's like, oof, they only just got away. Or like, oof, mm. they went to like an alternate dimension. Oh, no, no, they got locked in jail. Similarly, I think you can't really kill your horror movie bad guy or you've just uh, ruined the, uh, the long-running story, really. And then you just said, Shag, that this is the second in the trilogy. 
So he's probably not going to die at the end of this one either, right? Well, this is a really good point, right? So there's a few things about this film I want to set up before we get into it. Mm. Number one is that, yes, it's the second in the trilogy. So there's really no tension as to whether he will live or die because the third one's called Halloween Ends Anyway. So it's like, (laughs) so you might as well call this one Halloween Doesn't Die and it would be the exact same film, right? So, yes, so it's kind of devoid of tension in that way. Another thing that's really worth putting out there is when you were talking about going on your walks, listening to Spooko, giving those faces, this is a horror exposure therapy podcast in which I share horror with people who don't watch or listen or, you know, who basically don't watch or live in the world of horror all that much. And so I read this recent review of Spooko that was basically like, I got PTSD like straight away. I just had like the little adrenaline surge. First of all, the real was like perfect podcast, great host, love it. Yes. But they made a point that was like, but they do pay the shit out of the film. So, you know, if you are a massive horror fan, maybe listen to something else. And I thought that was an interesting take on it. And why I think that often happens is because I'm getting your take on it. I'm getting the take on Mm. people who aren't ensconced in the horror world, giving their initial reactions to what is an insane genre with its own rules. So the first thing I want to set up about this before I go into this film is that people review horror films who like horror films differently than people who don't. They have lower standards, I understand. (laughs) Also, like the point of the pod is that it's for people who don't really like horror movies. So it's like a main technique for us, me, getting over that hump of like being scared is just like making fun of it, going like, oh yeah, it was horrific. He bashed her face in. But like, oh, like the noise was so funny. <laughs> oh, it's all the sound design. Oh, that looks fake. Yeah. Well, look, well, look, if I got just the, you know, the critical things out of the way, yes, mm. it's the second of the trilogy, so there's less tension. Mm. It's also this thing where most initial horror films are so complete mm. that the sequels, when you watch them, as you're halfway through, you do this thing in your mind where you're like, I have no idea where this is going. Not because it's a perfect mystery, but because it's pretty clear they were writing as they went. So uh, you're watching in real time a film effectively being written. So they're like, okay, um, now Michael's here. Where would he? Maybe he'd go here. And then that's the next scene. But the one thing I like that actually feels well planned out is they have good surrogates for the audience in there. Like, I feel like in film one, they're like say something, say something, say something. Like, you know, let, let me hear from you. And in this film, it's it's like, take off the mask, take off the mask. So there's the, like, fan curiosity because we are all saying that. I imagine we're watching the film being like, wow, I wonder what he'd sound like. Wow, I wonder what he looks like. So I feel that that is well conceived, I mean, well there, there's ideated. A, there's a lot, like, it's trying to say a lot of things. It's quite mm. a woke horror film. It's got Sick. things to say about, you know, contemporary cults, about mob mentality, you know, it, it even has interesting things to say about, like, you know, how, whether everybody having a gun would make a town safer, uh, nice. whether police know what they're doing. Like, it, it's a very, like, I'm not going to say this film's right out ACAB, but it is a little bit like, well, the police won't save you from Michael Myers. And also having a gun won't save you from Michael Myers, which I think is a really interesting point because most action films never question that and use that as a way to, you know, even the scales. So, so look, that's the critical take on it. Mm. But 
when you're in horror movie internet world, yes. the way they review things, first of all, they want to know how compelling the bad guy is. And this film is all about Michael and he's super compelling in this. Number two, they want to hear about the deaths and they want to hear about them in two different ways. Number one, how creative they are, which is kind of morbid, but okay. They also want to hear how gory they are. Okay. And on both of those counts... Now, keep in mind, the original Halloween from 1978 has five deaths, including Michael Myers killing his sister at the very beginning. So, really, there's four deaths. They're mostly either somebody being pushed off something or being stabbed with something. Snooze. Even I'm like, boo, who cares? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. This film has 34 deaths. Oh, like, God. he kills 34 people in this film. And I was trying to think about how do you, how do you show how insane that is as an undertaking for a rider like let's say your dog had a litter of 34 puppies mm. and you had to name all 34 of them how the fuck would you do that yep amazing but as well in this timeline he has killed zero people well, so he's he killed, killed one he killed person fi- 40 years ago well no no he killed five people from the first film and then he killed however many people in the last film sorry that's right five people and then zero oh no sorry in the last film he four killed or five a few people, people in the last film yeah yeah okay yeah okay all right well i might just withdraw that criticism apologies our fans you guys were right all the time he's doing pretty well like i think if this was the real world we'd definitely be concerned about him Fucking cut him some so 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 okay so i'm gonna do my best to describe as many deaths as I remember, because I saw this film last mm. night for the first time in a while in a cinema, mm. and oh, I'm, I'm going to stand. Well, it killed. I'm going to stand. <laughs> I'm going to stand by my statement. The movies are a bit boring, even yes. in a cinema. Even watching this, I was just a bit like, oh, oh this film's gone on for a while. <laughs> But, but you can't put them on fast speed as well as the other problem if you watch no, you cinema. can't. You have to watch them at normal speed. Ugh. You have to sit through the opening credits, like, <laughs> and you always need to pee with the last 15, 20 minutes. Oh my god! Oh my god! Especially the older I get, I feel like most of my day is peeing. But anyway, so all right, so that was TMI. All right, so um, okay, so this film, this also this film is obsessed with the past, and it starts with Halloween night from 1978 mm. when Deputy Frank Hawkins accidentally shoots his partner dead while trying to save him from Michael Myers. Now, this is a bit of a flip from what happened in the original film. Mm. We knew that Michael Myers was in the house that he grew up in and there was an altercation with a couple of cops and one of them died and we thought Michael killed them. But in this film, it's like, no. And it's actually a really interesting situation, right? If Michael Myers was in front of you strangling to death your friend mm. and you had a gun and you were a little bit away and they were just shaking back and forth, what do you do? Do you try to take a shot at Michael and take him out but also risk killing your friend or do you hope that maybe your friend can escape and maybe choking will take long enough that somebody... Like, what do you do in this situation? I think it's a genuinely interesting quandary. What would you do? Well, what I'd do is run around the other side super fast. <laughs> and then I'd, like, I would I'd be simply... facing Michael and I'd just shoot him in the back. <laughs> yeah, I think I would go for, like, a roundhouse kick sort of scenario. <laughs> or, okay, like, this isn't what Ruby would do, but I'm not cop trained. Mm. Um, but what if, like, I don't know, powerful gun, I shot my friend in the shoulder. Mm. went through uh, straight to yeah. the heart. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think yeah, it yeah, would make like it awkward that. with you and your friend in future. <laughs> no, but they'll be like, you killed Michael Myers. 
So, so what happens is, so, so basically he accidentally kills his friend and then when they go downstairs, Dr. Loomis, the original psych, had a chance to shoot Michael and he's the one that stops him because at the time, like, he's remembering back and he's basically like, I had an opportunity to kill him and I didn't because I thought, I remembered him as just being a kid from the town but really he's become so much more and I wish, and there's a lot of people wishing they'd killed Michael when they had the chance all the way through this film. (laughs) In, in many ways, one of the themes of this film is kill someone when you have the chance. <laughs> Electric chair. Like, but it's literally one of the themes of this film is like, look, if you have a chance to kill someone bad, kill them, or they will kill 34 people in your town. And it'll haunt you. Because you see, if I did get a time machine, I would not actually go back and kill Hitler, like baby Hitler. I think that'd be very difficult. I'd just sort of plant mulberry trees everywhere, just sort of around, <laughs> around my house and be like... Yeah. <laughs> a truffle farm, right? Yes, in yeah, my backyard. Mm, I'm about it. So, 40 years later, on October 31st, 2018, after being stabbed and left to die by Dr. Rambis Satan. So, remember from last episode, mm. Hawkins has another chance to kill him 40 years later, but then he gets stabbed by the new doctor who's let him out because he wants to see him in the wild. That happened in mm. the last film. He was left to die, but he's found by Alison, which is Laurie Strode's granddaughter's boyfriend. So he's found by Alison's boyfriend, Cameron, who calls an ambulance. Hawkins regrets not allowing Michael's execution and vows to kill him. Meanwhile, Tommy Doyle... Now, again, like I said, this film is obsessed with the past, celebrates the 40th anniversary of Michael's imprisonment, along with fellow survivors Marion Chambers, Lindsay Wallace, and Cameron's father, Lonnie Elam, who all encountered Michael in the 1978 film. So they celebrate... So what are they celebrating? They're saying... (laughs) He's so, been in so, jail. So they are at like what looks like the funnest open mic night in my life. In my life, I've never been to a not embarrassing open mic night where I wanted to kill myself. Like I've never <laughs> not been to an open mic night where I'm like, everybody in this room and me all have to die together. So the shame of what's happening can never escape this room. But it looks like a really fun open mic night. There's a guy with like a ventri- like with a dummy doing a ventriloquist act. There's there's these three girls who are all mermaids singing a song, which kind of makes sense in in the Halloween universe. And anyway, one guy gets up and for his open mic contribution he's Mm. like 40 years ago the boogeyman came to Haddonfield I was one of the kids he encountered thank god he's behind bars let's always stay vigilant because he's the boogeyman what a dark town like the fact (laughs) that like all of the members in this town are like I wish I killed him when I had the chance it looks like none of them have a sense of humor either because they're going to a ventriloquist and having a great time. And their thoughts are disorganized. Could you also imagine what like a really hip town, like somewhere in the inner west, like if Marrickville had a serial killer 40 years ago, Marrickville would fucking love it. It would be the coolest thing. Everyone would be like, remember Michael Myers. There'd be Michael Myers nights. Everyone would be wearing like ironic Michael Myers t-shirts. Jack the Ripper is like sort of a folk hero now, you know, essentially. Everyone's like, yeah, you are Jack the fucking Ripper. This is potentially like not so hot, but um, somebody got stabbed really close to my house like a couple of months ago. And um, we have now moved to the street that the the killer lives on. Uh, Ruby, <laughs> how many of these episodes have you listened to? Like, this is not a good move in horror movie logic. No, I know. It's it's... It's it's dark, but um, you know, it's such an up and coming neighborhood that I see like <laughs> there's so many 
there's so many houses for sale on this street. And I was like, you know, and you're only living four doors away from the famous Merrickville stabbing. <laughs> the famous- <laughs> it's true. It is true. The famous Merrickville stabbing. And there was you know, that the girl that attacked someone with an axe in the 7-Eleven. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine. And she was just like, and, and her defense was like, oh, I just had a bad night. Mm. Well, this was this was like two months ago, and surely I feel like Shag, you live not too far away from me, so you probably would have heard the helicopters. It was like all day because he ran away, and they were looking for him. Wow, oh this god. is very Michael Myers. Oh, sorry. Oh my god! Imagine if it oh happened god, on Halloween night. <gasps> it was with a kid. Oh my god! Oh, sick! And it was thirty years ago tonight, which right, is very, so, very scary. Well, as well, well, well. <laughs> next open mic night, Ruby. You know what you need to do. Yes. <laughs> okay, so. Tommy Doyle is celebrating the 40th anniversary of Michael's imprisonment along with fellow survivors Marion Chambers, Lindsay Wallace and Cameron's father, Lonnie Elam, all having encountered Michael in 1978. Firefighters respond to Laurie Strode's burning house and that's there's a point in the trailer where you see Laurie and the three generations of Strode women driving away from the house and seeing the firefighters drive to the house and Jamie Lee Curtis is like, no, no, let him burn, let him burn. It's like such a cool moment and such a cool, like, such a like such a strong part of the film, right? Oh. Right, so, yes. Yeah, so, so these firefighters go to the house, and remember, there's only firefighters here. There aren't any cops, and firefighters don't have heat. Like they kind of have weapons, but they don't. They've got fire. Hey, they don't really wield fire, though, I guess. <laughs> like, they're called firefighters, but it's... <laughs> they don't fight with fire so much as against, I suppose. <laughs> so they go to the burning house. Now, you remember, he was trapped downstairs. One of them falls through the floor to the basement because of the structural integrity of the house. And as he's waiting for rescue, he notices that, like, a, a roller door comes up where clearly... Laurie was keeping some of her weapons, but that's where Michael's been hiding to protect himself from the fire. He comes out, he grabs the fireman's axe and just, like, caves his face in. Like, just, like, goodbye face of this fireman. Uh, Then the other firemen hear his distress call, come to rescue him. They put their hands down into the hole. Michael pulls the next guys down into the hole, and then we hear him kill. And then... All right, all right. So, okay, wait, 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 because I, I don't want to get out of turn. There's a few mm. things happening. Is he fireproof? Yeah, he's everything proof. Uh, he, well, so, like, so he comes wait. out, yeah. So he then comes out of the house carrying one of these, like, fire axes. And I guess contemporary fire axes aren't the usual sort of, like, splayed blade. They've got, like, a sharp bit and, like, a hook bit. And they've, they, they're, they're, very, they're, they're very heavy, weighty, scary-looking weapons. He comes out of the house wielding one of these, and there are about ten firefighters all staring at him sort of take a step back, all sort of are like, oh, fuck, oh, God, oh, God, he's coming to kill us. So they all sort of, I guess they ready their weapons. One of them has, like, a, a saw that I guess they use to, like a, like, a, like, a circular saw that they would use to cut yeah, through okay. things. Cool. Michael just wades into these people and just annihilates all of them, even going to the guy that was holding the saw, turns it back on his face, cuts it through his head. <laughs> Another one of the guys, like, basically impales him on, like, his axe, just... 
destroys a. I don't know what you call a group of firemen, like a platoon of firefighters. Firefighters. Can we stop saying the using the phrase you just were used, Shaq? I've okay. I've already broken us. I've already let us down. You need to uphold right. to uphold yes. our values. Yes, sorry, sorry. Uh, they're my not bad. fighters though, because they don't have oh. weapons. So they're they're fire first they're responders. Fire they're fire, <laughs> fire pieces. <laughs> so so yeah. So but, but basically, he kills all of them, and it's it's like it's a weird scene because it's like. It's almost like it's a hero scene where, like, in another film, it'd be like, oh, yeah, Michael's, like, taking out the trash. Like, we just watch him carve his way through these fire people. And and it's really full on. And it's not expected. And and from the get-go, you're like, oh, wow, this film is going to have a death count because he just slaughtered ten people like it was nothing. Mm. So Laurie, her daughter Karen, and her granddaughter Allison are taken to Haddonfield Memorial Hospital, where Laurie undergoes emergency surgery as Michael murders Laurie's neighbours before making his way back to Haddonfield. So, so yeah, so Michael then goes to another house where there's this, there's this weird scene where the mum of this couple is playing with the drone and she's like, oh, and the drone goes into another, I guess to be like, hey, we're, in, we're now in, you know, the, the 2020s. And the drone goes into a room and then it stops and she's like, stupid drone. And then a crumpled drone gets thrown out. And then we realise Michael's in the house. He kills one of them by taking a fluorescent light, snapping it and then jamming it into her neck. It's really, it's really, it's it's really great. And it's like, Michael was never like, I love creating. Like he was just, he was just a, like an unstoppable force who, killed people but he wasn't like i love creative kills but in this one he's like how cool is it to like mix things up and he also hates drones he's like fuck this drone (laughs) (laughs) well i mean he's been in like he's been in the crazy house for like 40 years he'd be like what the fuck is a drone he read ted krasinski's manifesto whilst in hospitals he was like you know what what is it technology no ah I like I learned the <laughs> I learned the manifesto so thing. So you read Unabomber. the manifesto. You read oh, the Unabomber no, manifesto. No, the, the first, the first bit, I think we've got the... two left. Like I love this podcast, but ooh. Oh, okay. Honestly, I watched a lot of documentaries. I had a lot of fun. I was really obsessed with the Unabomber for the first few months of this year. Oh god. <laughs> no, I don't actually mean it. No, like that. you emerged. But what you emerged is it? The, um the industrial revolution has been a disaster for mankind. That that was that was his sentence. I, like I I don't know who it is, but I'm having fun as well, learning. Look, he's he's like out of all of the horrible serial killers, he's one of the good ones. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's probably up there in my favorite. He's up there with Winston Churchill as one of the good yeah. one of the good serial killers. This yeah, okay. podcast is a wild fucking ride. He's right. an yeah, environmental man. terrorist. <laughs> oh, anyway, sorry, sorry, sorry. So remember the old crew who was celebrating the 40th anniversary of him being caught, yeah. learn of Michael's killing spree through a wireless emergency alert while they're at this bar that has his open mic night. So bar patron Vanessa supposedly encounters Michael in her car, but the driver crashes and escapes unnoticed. At some point we realise that someone else escaped, like another mental patient escaped in the car crash as well, and they're also on the run. And... A lot of the times there's this there's people think they're cornering Michael but they're not. But what happens now is this group of survivors start forming a mob to wander around Haddonfield 
to try and find him. So go in a group carrying like baseball bats and like wrenches and yeah, knives okay. and be like, well, you know, with the power of all of us, we can take him out. So this becomes a subplot of Halloween Kills in which the people of Haddonfield, including the people who were directly touched by the events of Halloween 1978, mm. decide to take matters into their own hands, not just the Strode women. Wow. Neighbourhood watch. And basically, yeah, right? That's what, that's what happens. So... Karen is informed that Michael is still alive and withholds that information from Laurie to allow her to recover. Because Laurie's in hospital. She had been stabbed, but she's kind of like, she's okay and she's on the mend and she's like, it doesn't matter. We finally killed Michael. I can breathe a sigh of relief. And the whole time, everyone's like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> like, look, look, just, just get better. And, you know, we'll talk about yes. it. It's all right. <laughs> look, someone definitely died. Awesome. We'll just, we're, yeah, we're, anyway. So, 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 so. Allison reconciles with her boyfriend Cameron and she joins Tommy's mob to avenge her own father's death. Uh, oh, yeah, because remember, the dad uh, and the son-in-law of Laurie died in the last film in the yes. house. So, so she's kind of like, no, fuck this, I'm going to go out. And it's, it's kind of weird because on the night your dad died, I just feel like there'd be a lot more grief processing that would what, be happening be like, now where's this mob like what are we up to <laughs> it's a bit like that it's a bit like that i feel like maybe 20 years later you'd be like yeah i want to join the mob but give yourself time to grieve but anyway <laughs> look that this is very much a horror film rather than a contemporary a24 horror film in this regard mm. okay so laurie and hawkins both awaken in the same room and reminisce about their former relationship at this point they both think michael's dead and they're like sick how cool is it and they're both like how cool is it that michael's dead it's pretty cool anyway while warning the haddonfield community to stay inside their houses marion vanessa and her husband marcus are killed by michael so they go in different groups of neighborhood watch and the and the original crew some of the original crew are killed by michael at a playground which is really scary Lindsay escapes and is found alive by Tommy, Lonnie, Allison, and Cameron. There's a lot of names. Yeah. They're all, almost all of them are going to die, so don't worry. Sick. Okay. The group map out Michael's path and his victim's location and deduce that he's heading towards his childhood home like he did in the first film and like he did in the last film as well. I do love that. Like, oh, hang on, this time he's <laughs> doing exactly the same thing. And also they have a printout of the map of the community, which I'm like, where would you even? like? <laughs> it, it, and not like a Google Maps, like a proper like architectural map of the town. That's like, where the fuck did you get that? Yes. Like what? And how, and, and how would you even read it? I'd look at it and I'd be like, what does this even mean? <laughs> have you ever seen an architectural map and you see a cross and it means a tree and it's like what how is that a tree what does what that mean what are you doing what's going on here what does this hatched area mean yeah, they actually they, they cut it out of the original movie but one of the main characters is actually a city planner so <laughs> <laughs> um, printed that out. but also it's like how how many movies are there like 11 or whatever and they're like hey like this you know mental patient you know oh it looks like he's heading back to this thing that he's already done for <laughs> Four times. <laughs> well, the only tension they try to make is Laurie being like, no, he's coming for me. He's coming to the hospital. We need to prep the hospital. Uh. But half the town's being like, no, he's going home. And it's like, where's he going? When we're actually following Michael and we kind of know he's going home. But anyway, like they try to give it a little bit of tension. Like, is there anything at his house? Well, <gasps> so, so, so. Tommy... 
takes Lindsay to the hospital and reunites with former Haddonfield Sheriff Lee Brackett, whose daughter Annie was killed in 1978, and informs Laurie about Michael's survival. Now, at this point, the hospital goes into, like, total panic mode. There's crowds of people coming to find out if their loved ones have been killed. There's all the cops showing up to protect, like, Laurie and the group and find out what's going on. It's absolute panic. What are they going to do? It's absolute (laughs) panic. And basically... It starts this, like, mob mentality where one of the original survivors of the 1978 killings is like, evil dies tonight, and then it becomes this chant of the crowd. The cops try to take control of it, but they can't. Laurie's like, you've got to protect... Like, he's coming for me. I've got to be prepared for it. You can't put me under painkillers. You can't leave me in a hospital bed. I've got to be ready for Michael. He's coming for me. So that's happening at the hospital. Meanwhile, the current owners of Michael's house are this sort of aging gay couple who are called Big John and Little John and they're having their own sort of Halloween night and there's a moment where they get tricked by this group of ratbag kids who try to steal all their candy and so they scare them by telling them about the the legend of Michael Myers and being like and this is the house he lives in blah 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 so it's almost like a bit of a meta joke that yeah, they've moved into the house because of its not- notoriety anyway Michael does show up to the house and does kill both of them Sick. one of them he stabs in the neck and then gouges out his eyes which I guess wow. all horror films have to have an eye gouge out scene now and I, it's granted it's one of 34 murders he does but still it's really out of context for him to stab someone in the neck and then just be like oh and now i'm gonna gouge out your eyes i thought michael's thing was that he was very machine like and sort of mm. unstoppable like do you remember the first one how he rips up the teeth and drops them on the ground I'm yeah. like, oh, okay what well, like why yeah. did you do that would have taken a while yeah yeah he did it to freak out the person in the bathroom nah. none of it makes any sense I was really ready for you to be like it to turn into like a really like heavy handed morality thing of like, <laughs> and he doesn't kill the gay people. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I'm just as a listener, not as a watcher, I'm getting more and more desensitized to just basic violence. Like if you were like, and he comes through and he stabs them and he mm. comes through and he stabs them in the chest. I'd be like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, I'm kind of wanting to hear some some eye gouging. Uh, and now, and now Ruby, you're getting into the yes. horror mindset where you're reading your review and you don't care about how well it's plotted or, you know, the, like, the way, like, the narrative arc progresses. All you want to hear about is how gory and how creative the kills are. Yes. And they are very much that. And the sound effects in this are so brutal. And you want like, to imagine what you'd do if you saw Michael Myers as well. And, and, and you know, he is like, if you see Michael in this one, like, you're basically dead. Like, he is just, he... he He's at the top of his game. He's, he's, he's literally killing it. Halloween <laughs> <laughs> kills. Hey. So, Laurie prepares to leave the hospital because she's like, he's out there, I want to find him. Like, if he's coming for me, I'm going to come for him. <gasps> Meanwhile, Lance Tavoli, who is that other fugitive who escaped... Um, makes it to Smith's Grove Psychiatric Hospital and is like, help me, I'm lost, I don't know what's going on, I'm a bit cuckoo. He's one from the first film that's basically like, ah, sort of thing. Anyway, when the mob sees him and sees him in a hospital gown, they're like, it's Michael, let's get him. And it, it starts this chase through the hospital 
where this mob is going after this very old scared guy. It's clearly not Michael. He's really short. He's, he just doesn't have the same physique as Michael. And people are like, is that Michael? And they're like, he was always wearing a mask. We don't know, but it's probably Michael. And so they're chasing him through the hospital <laughs> being like, evil dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. They pursue him through the hospital before Karen, the daughter, sees him and is like, hang on, that's not Michael. Like, we came in contact with Michael, and I know for sure that's not him. So she's like, I want to save you. She locks him in this room upstairs, and when the mob comes up, she's, like, trying to talk to the mob. Lots of people in the mob, especially the original survivors who started the mob, are like, hang on, I don't think that's him. But the mob can't stop. Like, this, you know, it's very much have a a point to make about the mob. He decides, he's like, he gets so scared. Like, it's actually kind of an awful scene where he's so scared. He doesn't know what's happening. So he jumps out a window of this hospital, falls to his death. There's a long, gratuitous shot of his head crushed open. Uh, It's a very realistic look of what I imagine it would look like if your head got crushed open. And you know what's really funny? The mob then comes downstairs and they're like, ah, fuck. We should have known. That's why you don't do mobs. Like, they're basically like, oh, we made a mistake. Bummer. That one feels very topical because I feel like the hot topic right now is, like, the dangers of, like, true crime internet sleuths Mm. and, like, getting involved in, like, obviously there's, like, the, what's her name, Gabby Petito. Oh, God, yeah. There's that missing persons case and people were, you know, very heavy handed on the um, the boy's parents. And then also, I don't know if you guys watch as much true crime as me, but um, the Cecil Hotel documentary came out on Netflix a while ago. And um, I won't like go into too much detail about it, but like basically. There's, it, no, there's no risk I will watch it. So I'm content to have it's, it spoiled. It's, it's, it's excellent because I'm a huge true crime head. And Sick. it's it's a very, very famous mystery that happened in 2012 about this girl that died in this hotel. And everyone's like, oh, my God, what happened? Was she murdered? What happened? But all of these internet sleuths, because it became so viral, all of these internet sleuths did all of this research, pretty much decided that it was this guy who, to be fair, he was like a, um, I want to say like Scandinavian and like into like death metal. And he was like, he would do all those like really scary videos about like, I'm going to like eat this live bat and like, I'm going to go murder a girl. But like, they were all like fake videos and they decided that it was him. And basically they harassed him so much on the internet that he like attempted suicide. He's still alive, but like he's completely innocent. They just like, yeah, mob mentality. So currently our government is trying to legislate uh, moderating the internet and, you know, in many different ways, which I think is really difficult. What I'd love to add is if you ever go on the internet, before you ever touch the internet, you have to read the crucible. You just have to, <laughs> you just have, or at least see the Winona Ryder film or a production by a pretty good theatre troupe, not a high school production. It has to be a pretty good version of The Crucible. <laughs> I, th- I think that's fair. Uh, I don't know how much chance that has of becoming law. But anyway, okay, so... Strong. It's, I'm going to go with It's strong. in the curriculum, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it is in the curriculum. You're right. Well, it was yeah. when yeah, I was, was when I was in high school. Anyway, well, so... Well, when I was. So, but I mean, like, when you hit the internet and kids are, like, getting on the internet from, like, two. So we need a baby Crucible. 
bang. We need the Wiggles <laughs> doing their version of the Crucible. Bluey does well, the Crucible. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the Bluesible. <laughs> the Bluesible. Where, like, Bingo is, like, accused of stealing something she didn't and then, yeah. Anyway, anyway, okay. All right, so okay, okay. So, Laurie urges Karen to work with Tommy. And remember, Tommy is, you know, one of the original guys who was commemorating the death, started this mob, now goes to um, Karen and Laurie being like, guys, I'm really sorry that guy died. Bummer on my part. Just trying to do my best to kill Michael. And they're all kind of like, oh, no, nah, we get it. That's okay. Let's, <laughs> let's all go. So they all decide we'll all go and try and kill Michael now, right? It's the weird thing about this film. Sometimes deaths are like, that's rough. And then other times death's like, oh, well. And I guess when there's 34 deaths, some of them are going to feel bigger than others. I get that. Quite literally, some deaths hit different. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So meanwhile, Alison, her boyfriend Cameron, and their dad Lonnie drive to Michael's home because they're like, he's definitely at home. They park outside. Cameron's dad's like, I'm going to go in first. You guys stay here. Which is, and then he's like, if if I don't make it out, I'd love you. Like, imagine your your teenage son is in the car, and you're like, look, I might die in this house that I don't have to go into. So I love you. I'll see you later. It's like it's the weirdest choice. And of course he goes in and dies. Like, of course he goes in and fucking dies straight away. And it's like, what a waste of a family. Anyway. Super selfish. It's so selfish, right? <laughs> so then Allison and Cameron rush inside, find his corpse stuffed half into like the attic before being attacked by Michael. Michael murders Cameron in this way where basically he has him like between the banisters of uh, the top of a staircase and he just keeps like shaking his body from left to right. So the head just keeps banging and like, and you just hear the head just like go crunch, 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 crunch till basically this head is just hanging limp between these banisters as Michael comes down the stairs and it's sort of still sort of gurgling and being like, that's what I want my chiropractor to do to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, speaking of chiro, chiro, chiropractory, chiropractic, he walks down the stairs, turns around, notices him still breathing, and then just snap, turns his head all the way around and just completely snaps it. Hmm. Ironically, doing all these things, it strike me as likely to cause a back spasm for, <laughs> for Michael Myers. And so that he might also appreciate a visit to the chiropractor. Yeah, like if you want to catch him, just like have a look at who's booked in the physio in the next fortnight. Yeah, like stand 45 degrees to him, but two different people. So he has to constantly like, twist angles. So so I was I was really bored at this point. So I was constantly checking my phone to be like, is it okay? Because I knew the runtime and I'm like, well, we're getting close to the runtime. I know there were previews, but we've got to be getting close. And I was like, is it going to end with Michael coming downstairs towards the daughter? What's going to happen? Anyway, he comes downstairs. Allison mm. has already stabbed him a couple of times. I think she's taken a shot at him. Obviously, it's Michael, so it doesn't matter. He's about to kill him when Karen comes in from outside. She's grabbed a pitchfork from one of the Halloween decorations and stabs it into his back. Then he's on the ground and she just like stabs on his head. And we're like, well, he's probably dead now. Awesome. She then steals his mask and then he comes back to life. And it's like, oh, God, okay, so he's back to life. But the whole way through, we've realized he's obsessed with his mask. He's like, my mask is kind of the thing I love like there's no real motive to Michael except the fact that he really fucking loves his mask Mm -hmm. so she taunts him and she's like well I've got your mask 
and Michael just comes walking out after her and she looks really she looks like she doesn't have a game plan. So she runs behind a couple of houses, Michael follows, and then all of a sudden she stops, turns around, all these car lights come on, and the entire mob is waiting for Michael. It's true. And they do a really clever thing where at this point he's not wearing his mask, but his face is always out of focus. So he's sort of like a 50 to 60-year-old white man, well-kept beard, graying, uh, looking like pretty like fit, to be honest. I'm thinking um, George Clooney. Yeah, he's very, yeah. Yeah. But very tall and very broad. More of a sort of rock physique, really. <laughs> or maybe like a, a John Cena sort of physique, but taller, <laughs> like that sort of vibe. Anyway, so... He, like, he sees this mob. He slowly picks up his mask in a sort of crack the knuckles. Oh, I guess we're going to do this way. And then the mob just starts beating the shit out of him. So they all take turns. Like, one person, like, swings a bat at his head. One person, like, swings a wrench in his back. Like, Why eventually, he turns? Yeah, I know. And eventually he's on the ground. Someone shoots him a couple of times. Eventually he's on the ground. Karen comes along, stabs him in the back with the knife. And they're, like, sick. He's finally dead. <sighs> Now, the mob disperses while Laurie is in hospital, realizing that. Where's the body? Yeah, yeah, because Laurie doesn't do much in this film, but she's now realized that he wasn't coming for her at all. And she gives this monologue about how you can't kill Michael with brute force because Michael represents all our anger, all our fear, all our... Like, it's a weird monologue. Michael's a metaphor, you guys. Yeah, where she's basically like, every time a mob snaps, Michael's there. Every time somebody does something bad, Michael gets stronger. So as she's saying this monologue, it's intercut with Michael getting up and killing the rest of the mob who's not there anymore. One... Back at, back at Michael's... So, but, but so are we to take from that that Michael is magic and he does actually get his power from mobs? Well, who the fuck knows, right? <laughs> so meanwhile, back at the home, Karen goes upstairs. Because all the way through this film, one of the things they do talk about is the fact that they're like, why does Michael keep coming home? And people who knew him when he was a kid are like, I don't know. But for some reason, he loves going upstairs to his sister's bedroom and staring out the window. Is he looking out or is he staring at his own reflection? We don't know. But that's the thing Michael loves to do. And he does it a couple of times in this film where it's like, that's just the, 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 the place Michael is going. His motive, if he has one, is killing everyone in his way to get back to his sister's bedroom to stare out the window. Maybe that's anyway. where his, like, weed stashes or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, under a floorboard. He's like, oh, that's got to get it. <laughs> so Karen goes upstairs to investigate while Allison receives medical attention downstairs. Again, it's like the start of this movie where they're like, well, we finally killed him. He's dead. We can finally relax. As Karen's looking out the window... Michael appears and stabs Karen to death. It's a bit of a surprise death that one of the Strode women is actually killed at the end of this film. It ends with Michael staring out the window. We notice him looking at his reflection, breathing heavily. And that's the end of Halloween Kills. Are there, like, no mirrors in the town or something? (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say. It is this specific reflection. (laughs) If someone had shown him a mirror, he'd be like... Oh, for fuck's sake, I've been been wanting one of these all my life. He's like, I just want to see how cute I look in this mask. (laughs) In this mask, yeah, exactly. Of like, I need my mask, I need everyone that I encounter between here and the mirror to die. So 
I'm really excited about the fact that this mm. is now a Halloween tradition because Ruby, next year, around about this time, the final film in this trilogy, which is the fourth film in this timeline, which will be the 13th film in mm. the franchise, Halloween Ends come out. And I think we should make a date to do an episode when that yes. comes out at the same time. I reckon I reckon we got a plan for Halloween Ends. Uh, are you up for that? Yeah, I'll go see it. Hey! Yeah! I'll shit myself. I will. The podcast I reckon this time we really will die, though, this time. But it's die. working! Spooko's working! Hell yeah. Uh, this was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe, and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?